The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 203 for Monday, May 18th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. As John said, it's show 203. I'm Dave Hamilton. He is John Braun. How you doing, John? Uh, uh, much better. I had a Good. rough weekend, and, and we'll talk about it. All right. Uh, Pete, is, Pete is not here tonight, but he is with us in, uh, in spirit over Skype. He's, uh, he, he's in Anchorage, I believe. And, uh, yeah. Anchorage it is. Anchorage at it the, is. At the Lake Airport, did you say, John? The what? Which one? Ted it, it does come up. It, it comes up eventually in uh, yeah. in Google Maps. Yeah, I forget so, what it's called. Here I am, yeah. guys, listening in. Thanks for having me. Of course, Lake yeah. Hood Airport. So he's he's far away. And far away. I asked them to say hi to Sarah, and you know. <laughs> so we have all kinds of stuff to go through today. We uh, just after we did the show last week, uh, Mac OS ten point five point seven came out. So we'll talk about some of that. Uh, we had a couple of questions that led us to. Uh, concoct a little discussion here about airport and, and Wi-Fi network design that we'll go through. And then we've got some general questions and yet more cool stuff found. I love the fact that you folks are all sending this stuff in. Uh, we're going to, well, this will be two shows in a row that we've done a, a chock full of cool stuff found category. We might have to, we might have to actually buffer this stuff and, and pace it out. But for now we're just letting it flow. So, and I like it too, because I think it may lead to us getting some uh, toys. Uh, Purely for the benefit of, of, you know, the listeners and not us. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about them and say whether they're good or they're they're not so good. Okay. All right. Um, all right so, but let's start, John, with uh, with ten point five point oh. seven. So it came out before before we talk about your your tale of woe here. Um, is there anything that ten point five point seven does that is important? I I I um I, I looked at the the change log. Um, I didn't really see anything that that leapt out at me. I mean, of course, now we all get the uh, the the compact fluorescent uh, bulb as the indicator or the uh, icon for. I saw someone at work, and he still had the uh, incandescent. Now he has an early MacBook, like okay. pre uh, pre multi touch. So. Um... Yeah, because I looked and I said, dude, are you up to 10.5.7? And I was checking something with him, which you know what it was. But yeah. he's like, oh, no, yeah, machine's working great. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's funny. His trackpad was was all flat, the trackpad control. But, yeah, the bulb was still an incandescent bulb. So that, that was kind of weird. So I think the, the very early MacBooks may still but What we're that. talking about is the energy saver icon and system preferences. Yes. So, but, but obviously icons, you know, doesn't really matter. Yeah, so, so. what it included, I mean, it has stuff here, uh, security fixes, raw support. Video playback with NVIDIA graphics, which may or may not impact uh, some yep. keyboard stuff. Pretty much some minor, you know, iCal, some iCal and mail improvements, which, you know, I do use iCal a bit. Mail, not so much. Parental controls, printing. Yeah, so, you know, there's really... It, it's minor <laughs> stuff. Not a heck of a lot there that, that, that I was really hankering yeah, for. It's, it's, it's minor stuff as for the for most people. I think there's there's probably some fixes in here, as with as with many system updates, where... It's something that some small segment of people has been waiting for, and it's the best yep. thing than, since sliced bread or, or, or what have you. So, yeah, and it was a Whopper, too, so you know there was something good in there. I, I think yeah. it was on Motorola. It was about um, 200 megs and about 400 or 450 megs yeah. on uh, Intel. Yeah. So anyway, so so can I go? Well, I'll, I'll start. Yeah, so yeah, it was 442 megs for the Delta updater for Intel machines, and the combo updater... For was seven twenty nine. So yeah, lots, lots of uh, lots of data of something. Okay. So, so of right, course, so being an go idiot, ahead, John. yeah, I, w I wanted to be one of the first to get this update. So I decided to do it on my MacBook Pro. Okay. Um, I think I tried it the the evening that it came out, and you know I downloaded it. Um, well, first off, I tried it through software update, and, and we can talk a bit about the, the the how wise that is. Obviously, I was not the only person trying to do this because it started downloading very quickly and then it just was molasses. So 
you know, I was griping about that online and, and uh, the hive mind said, well, you know, maybe you want to get the direct download. So I went to the page where you can get those. And there was either the update updater, which just updates you from the prior point revision, 10.5.6. Yeah. Or you can get what's known as the combo updater, which will update you from any, I believe, 10.5. Yeah, it, it includes every update that has happened since 10.5.0. Um, whether whether your machine needs it or not, it's all there in the uh, in the updater. Right. So it's probably a good general purpose. If you're going to spend the time to download it and you know you're going to probably be bopping around to different machines and stuff, then it probably makes sense to get the combo just in case. But well, I didn't. So I, I downloaded. I, 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 Go ahead. Let's hold... We'll, we'll we'll take that thought and and put it on a shelf for a moment uh, because I, right. I want to let you continue here. But but just in case is is a uh, a policy that I'm going to uh, to to try and clarify and challenge in a little bit. But go ahead. So. Yeah, whatever. So anyway, so I apply it. It gets to the end, and you know I expect everything to kind of shut down. And and I read online that you know it reboot a couple of times. Like okay, so. It gets to the end of the installation, all the progress bars, everything. It looks like it's shutting down. And then it gets stuck in this state where it alternates between a blue screen, not a blue screen of death like Windows, and a different colored screen with the spinny progress wheel. And then the blue screen. And then the progress wheel. Okay, well, after about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of this, I figure something's not happening. And, you know, I got to say, the beauty of Twitter is that while I was... Like in real time describing these things, I was getting acknowledgments that, you know, I ran into that too, which is very cool, I think. Because before yeah. you never knew if it was something stupid that you did or, or you have some oddball thing. But, and, and a lot of uh, different channels, discussion boards and Twitter and, and groups and all that, all, uh, you know, uh, this was just a, a bonus that made, it, it made me able to learn what to possibly do a lot quicker. So anyway, so it gets stuck in that state and I'm like, oh, great. So... The only way you can really get out of this, hold down the power button, machine shuts down. Machine rebooted, looked okay, rebooted like two or three times. Okay. And then I'm in. Oh. You know, goes, to the, goes to the desktop. I'm at 10.5.7. I look at, you know, I look at the menu. Yep. Um, version, and I'm like, huh, okay. But, you know, I'm kind of nervous that it didn't quite work. So I applied it again. And that went smoothly. Now, when you say I, you, you applied it again. I applied the update. Okay, the incremental installer, incremental installer. Got yes. it. Just because I figured, you know, it, it got stuck somewhere, it didn't quite finish up. Let me let me do that again. Uh, which I would say in general is probably what you want to do if you don't think a OS install went smoothly. So everything seems to work, running, you know, not much differently. Okay. Um. And and so that, that 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 was the extent of your problems in terms of getting with the, the ins with the yes. install. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's let's talk. And I know there's issue number two here, but uh, but let, let's let's pause here and talk a little bit about this. Now, had you done a permissions repair or a file system check before you let software update do its thing or you just threw caution to the wind and, and just clicked install? Ah, good one. No, that, that that's a good thing. Actually, I did see people suggesting, hey, before you do this. Yes. So so through just utility, you know, verify the volume just to make sure there's no major corruption and repair permissions. And, and I did and, it afterwards too, because I heard afterwards was, and something still come up, which is weird. Go okay. Ahead. So you, so you did both of those things before you let it do the software update update. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Which you should. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. My, my advice on these things is do, do the, those two things, permissions and run a file system check. And I, swear by the combo updater i will wait the extra couple of it's for some reason it's usually a couple of hours between when it shows up in software update and, and when the downloads actually appear on apple's site and you can go get them for yourself and i always get the combo updater i don't think i've ever done an update you know other than like a point one when there is no combo updater mm -hmm. uh I've, i don't think i've ever done one without it but just because you hear of so many wacky weird problems and the issue is if something in your install somewhere along the line got corrupted, uh, you know, you're you're building on a foundation that is not whole. So uh, I, I always and and. If you are having problems with your installation, 
I often find that in reinstalling the current combo updater on top of itself, you know, doing a maintenance reinstall. So keeping the version the same and just dumping, a co- you know, the latest combo updater back on top of itself often solves those kinds of problems. Uh, because as we pointed out, it does put a lot of stuff on the machine. I mean, we, you know, for somewhere between yes. 200 to 400 to 700 megs worth of stuff. So, you know, there's plenty of data out there. I, I, I won't do a software update, and I know uh, other people mentioned that uh, Adam Christensen and Victor Kahiao are, are, are strong proponents of that position as well. So mm-hmm. Now, you know, I did see also, and other people reported this as well online, was at one point I think I tried to use software update, and in the middle, or towards the end of something at Balkan, it said, up oh, digital signature failed. This I saw a couple of people in- report that on Twitter. Which is a, yeah. a form of integrity checking on the file saying, all right, I ran a certain algorithm against the file. Let me run it again and see if they match. And, oh, they don't? Well, then there's something wrong with the file. Sorry. Right, right. So that happened, too. And, that, and I don't know if that was due to volume or corruption or a little of both. Um, so moving on, and actually we had a listener um, writing with this pretty much the exact same problem I ran into. Uh, Daryl Waterberg uh, wrote in about this. So everything seemed to be running okay. And then, you know, as I usually do, uh, you know, before I go to sleep, I will sleep the Mac. And, you know, what's supposed to happen is you close the lid, the light stays on for a bit, and then it starts pulsing. If you're using smart sleep. Otherwise, what happens is the light will dim to about halfway, and then eventually when it's in sleep, because it's hibernating, and then when it's in sleep mode, it'll pulse. So, put the machine to sleep. Everything's great. Woke it up, you know, the next morning. And then I think I put it to sleep again. And, oh, here's where things started just going very, very wrong. So this is, so you, looked, you forced it to sleep. You didn't wait for it to try and go to sleep on its own, right? Correct. By, by closing I, the I, lid, you've effectively forced it. Yeah. But you know, let me think back. No, you know, I think, he, okay, I'm sorry. Here was the first time this happened. It happened a couple of times. All right. I what, think what happened? First, what, what, so the here second we go. The time. First event, now, now I'm thinking back to the first okay. event. No, here was the first event. So I think. I slept it once, and then what I did is sometimes I will play some music or something on the machine, and then it's set to go to sleep after an hour. Okay. And what happened is when I woke up the next day, because I count on the thing to you know stop playing whatever it is and go to sleep, because that's how I have it set, the light was on like halfway, and the fans were going, not full bore, but they were going, and there was nothing on the screen. And I'm like, well, that's really kind of weird. And I hit a key, and I hit the mouse, and it is off somewhere. Okay, so I'm huh. like, well, that was really weird. So, you know, let me let me shut down, restart. And, you know, throughout the day, sometimes I'll bring the machine with me. I mean, be upstairs, downstairs, whatever. Sure. And I think I went through this again. So I put the machine to sleep at one point, maybe went out, did some shopping or something like that, came back home, woke it up, put it to sleep, woke it up the second time. And the same thing was happening in that it would try, it would appear to be going to sleep. The light would, on the on the latch would dim and you'd wait a moment. Now, one thing I did is I did get rid of smart sleep because I thought that may be causing problems. So that was the first thing I did. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, after this problem happened a couple of times, I got rid of smart sleep because I thought, eh, maybe though it doesn't really do anything really wacky. I mean, nope. it's just setting the uh, PRAMs parameters or something like that. That's right? exactly so, right. Yeah. It, do- it doesn't do anything wacky. That's right. Yeah. So now I'm getting kind of annoyed because it keeps happening. First time it sleeps after a re- hard reboot, everything's great. Second time, it looks like for all appearances, it's trying to hibernate and it never gets there. It crashes. Now, some people reported they saw things on the screen, like, like you know, a dump or something like that. I just had a, a dark screen. Uh, so I guess it may depend on the machine. So if I were to solve a problem like this, now, you know, I'm going to say it's a safe bet here that this could be a power related issue, Dave. Sure. Okay, and in the case of the machine, but we know it's software, right? I mean, it has to be something with software if it it, if it was coming from ten five six to ten five seven. Maybe. Okay, I'll Mm -hmm. tell you why I say that in a moment. Mm -hmm. The moment over. Ah, yes, the moment's over. (laughs) We lost the moment. Sorry. All right. Um, So the first thing that I would do, because I would suspect in this case, and, you know, it was a good guess, but there's something in the newer Macs that you and I have called System Management Controller, SMC. Yep. This is something that deals with power, how to handle power in general. I I don't know the details, but it has to do with with power management, and that's what they say. 
there's a way to reset this. It depends on the type of machine you have. Some machines have a little reset button. Some have a keyboard combination. I believe in the case of you and I, Dave, uh, the way to reset it is to unplug it, remove the battery, hold down the power button for five seconds, and that clears something out and then put everything back together. It's okay. kind of a weird process, but I have a you know support article that talks about it. It's a HT1411. So I tried that. Yep. Didn't fix the problem. Well, next thing, PRAM. So I didn't think it really had anything to do with this, but why the heck not? So, and, and that's another parameter RAM. I mean, it contains some things that have to do with, well, not really power. I mean, uh, I guess the preferences, maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, not S- even that. I system preferences, some, some of the system preferences and uh, the, um, the clock and, and, or... and, yeah, the startup disk. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So a few, uh, unlikely, but I figured uh, what I was thinking is that because the install got munged, maybe something else got scribbled on sure so it's unlikely you never know and then you know i i whipped out the google foo and i went online look for 1057 sleep and lo and behold i found a discussion thread at apple that they hadn't yet deleted <laughs> okay because <laughs> it was saying bad things you know sure they get kind of sensitive sometimes they do no i haven't seen them do that recently yeah they do they um, still do it <laughs> So I'm going through the thread, and there are people talking about the exact same problem. Sleep once, okay. Sleep twice, wedges, you got a hard reboot. And then one person kind of stumbled on the problem. So it was very interesting to look at the thought process. Someone said, hey, you know, if I delete these preference files, then everything works. And and what were the preference files, just in general? You know, let me me get to a short Uh, Just in general. Where, where are um, here? here we yeah. go. No, no. Uh, com.apple.smb uh, server plist.network identification plist.nat plist.airport. So network okay. devices. Yep. And, and you know what? I believe, uh, because I'm going to tell you in a moment what the problem was specifically. Mm-hmm. I believe this person solved the problem in a roundabout way. It, clearly they did. Yes. And that's what and, I was kind of And the reason... At. And now here's what the problem was. Then eventually, I think some other people chewed on this. So so it was a great collaboration effort because people were moving towards the solution. The solution is that if you are on a MacBook Pro and in your network, uh, which would be your network control uh, system preferences, if your Ethernet interface is inactive, this problem will occur. That th- This is good to know because... I, and it's freaky because now my machine is set up. Well, not freaky, but just so. So my theory of operation with my machine is that I rarely plug into a wall. The portable is pretty much for around the house, and it's always wireless. So I have two configurations: I have network, uh, wired network, and wireless network. And for for the most part, ninety five percent of the time or ninety nine percent of the time, it's on wireless. So I figure, why do I need the Ethernet interface enabled? You know, it may not draw power or anything like that, but still, you know, to me, it's just a way to separate things out. Just and, and same with the uh, the wired. When the wired is activated, I have another profile. Um, the wireless is turned off to isolate that just to prevent problems. Yep. Uh, because like, I think I wrote you and I'm like, Dave, did you have this problem? And you're like, no. And I'm going to almost bet. And I don't know if, you know, you, you know, you put one in for the team here and you actually tried to recreate this problem on your MacBook. If you... mm. I put it to sleep all the time. But but disable your Ethernet port, though. Right. When I'm here, I I uh, have my Ethernet port enabled. Now, I do have a, a network profile or a location that I call nothing and mm-hmm. it has nothing active. And it's the it's the one that I'll use if I'm on like an airplane or something, because I figure mm-hmm. no reason to have the ports active Right. If uh, if I'm if I'm not going to be using them and maybe I'll save a little bit on battery, but maybe not. But knowing this, I've got to be careful with my nothing port because it has Ethernet disabled. And clearly with ten five seven, that's a bad thing. So you didn't try to, you know, wedge your machine. I think you should try. It. No, I'm try good. It. Well, not now. I'm good. I'm just saying, you know, as part of the, the diagnostic process, I really think that, you, you know, I mean, I'm only one data point. I really think that you should kind of chip in here. And uh, it sounds like you found quite a quite a few people that uh, that did this for you. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it <laughs> really helped clinch it here, Dave. All right. Well, you make I'll, me 100 percent certain this is the problem. You know what I'll do? I'll wait until I'm in, in mid flight 
leaving mm-hmm. for like a week long trip I'll, on my way out to WWDC. Then I'll try this when I have no uh, fail safe mechanism available to me. That's when that's when I'll test this for you. How's that sound? Excellent. OK, good. So I guess this is a minor. I don't know if I want to shake my fist at Apple or even wag my finger. But it shows that their think- beta testing process is imperfect. Um, they Whoa. they do not push enough on uh, their beta testers to actually test this. They 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 rely on people to just test it in a in a general way. But I think for the most part, their beta testers are programmers, right? Um, I mean, I think that's their that my guess. I don't know the the extent of their beta group, but of course, we all know that uh, anybody who's an Apple developer gets advanced access to OS releases, and presumably, that's not so much to beta test Apple's code as it is to beta test their own code against whatever it is that Apple's doing. And of course, you can file bug reports, and Apple's you, you know very. Uh, interactive about that and and good but people are probably not running these uh os releases in a way that truly beta tests them as we see i mean there's always this kind of stuff that that leaks out when you think gosh you know somebody should have figured this out before it before it got you know obviously they changed something with the networking code because if this worked in 10.56 and it doesn't work in 10.57 there's something out there that changed they should have pushed on people to, to they, they need to change their process. On the other hand, I'm thinking that this one was a bit obscure and that it didn't happen consistently unless you did it twice, which. Oh, there's that. That's true. That's kind of, you know, when you come up with a test plan, uh, I, you know, I know people that do this sort of thing. Yeah. And I've had to go through it sometimes. You know, where do you stop? Okay, repeat this action, what, twice, three times, five times? Right. I mean, and the thing is, as you start, you know, getting a complex piece of software, you only have so many things you can test so many times before it becomes unmanageable and just spirals out of control. So maybe sleeping the machine twice was not on the list of things to do. It's like, all right, sleep the machine once and see if it wakes up again. Okay, check, next. Right. It's unfortunate it, you know was only two times. But it, Man, it, what did they change? I, I'm looking at the change log here, and I think I they changed the Ethernet driver uh, because really? it says, yeah, they it, it improves network performance when connected to certain Whoops. Ethernet <laughs> switches that have flow control enabled. So, right. uh, so they clearly rewrote at least a portion of the Ethernet driver, and, and that, yep. that let them there. All right. And it's not playing nice with something else. M- moving on to, uh, to our, our next discussion here. But first, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Circus Ponies and Notebook version 3. Notebook is an application that allows you to store all sorts of different data. You, you create individual electronic notebooks, and they start out in outline form. And you can start typing. You can also bring in graphics. You can bring in PDFs. You can, uh, if you have a tablet, you can draw into it. uh, Or you could draw with your mouse if you're so inclined. And tag things, annotate things, and organize things by individual notebook or within sections inside one notebook. And then it's got a search feature that allows you to search across the entire range of notebooks that you have, if you so choose. And you don't have to necessarily search for uh, you don't have to know what you're looking for. You can search for by date. You can search by uh, a keyword. If you assigned one, you can search by if you remember a snippet of the text or something, you can search that way. Uh, We had uh, Kevin write in and he says he won a copy of notebook from Circus Ponies last year and didn't think he would use it much. Now he says he uses it for clipping recipes while surfing the web, grabbing bits and pieces of information that he would otherwise put on a sticky, organizing projects and saving miscellaneous bits of family information. He says, so for folks who think it's just for busy executives, it's not. It's useful for anybody. And I highly recommend it. This is from CircusPonies.com. It's called Notebook. It's $49.95. Uh, if you have a previous version and you're not eligible for the upgrade uh, for, for the free upgrade, it is a twenty four ninety five upgrade. So it's half price. And of course, if you go to circusponies.com, you can get a free trial so you can check it out before you shell out the dough. So visit circusponies.com and check out notebook version 3.0. All right. We had a couple of questions come in and I'm not going to read both of these emails because they're very long. Um, we had we had Brad and, and Ryan 
uh, write in asking different questions about wireless and and networks in general, but but with a focus on on wireless. Brad's getting a new house and was or moving into a new house and was asking some questions about how to organize his network and how to set things up and how to lay things out. And Ryan uh, is staying in his, in, in his existing house, but he has multiple wireless base stations and wasn't sure how to, how to use everything efficiently. And it, it kind of hit me as I was going through these emails that, well, you know, we talk about this stuff kind of in bits and pieces. What if we had a holistic conversation and I say holistic, hoping that we can actually cover uh, uh, all of it, knowing that we won't and we'll revisit this on, on future shows, but at least starting this, this conversation about laying out a wireless network, knowing that, you know, the, the game has changed, right, John? It used to be that you'd get a wireless router and all you were hooking up to it was your computers, right? You might have a couple of computers in your house, so you'd find a spot for your base station that you could put it, that hopefully all your computers could get to it. And really all you were trying to do was get on the internet and yeah, wireless was slower than ethernet. So sharing files back and forth was sort of a chore, but you know, it was certainly more convenient than drilling holes in the walls and, and running ethernet cables. Now yeah, though, I was going to say you're, you're, you're getting, you know, kind of ahead of yourself there. I mean, you're, you're jumping right into the you know newfangled wireless stuff. I mean, uh, back in my day, you know, we wired everything up because that was, that was the way to do it. Gosh, darn it. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, and I still kind of live in that, in that world. Anytime I'm doing any sort of uh, construction project here, if there's an opportunity to run ethernet cable in the walls, I will. And I still think that's an excellent idea for some of the reasons that we're going to talk about, uh, here, but you know, the, the game has changed. We're not just connecting our computers to the, these wireless networks anymore. Now we've got uh, compu- some computers that can run at one wireless speed, others that can run at faster speeds. And in addition to that, we've got our iPhones that use wireless. We have some printers that use wireless. We have our, you know, DVRs and TiVos and uh, Wii's and Xboxes and all that stuff that all connect wirelessly and and are fighting for the same bandwidth constantly. I mean, I know my TiVo is on all the time. It's always connected to the wireless network. And and you know that if it's connected uh, to a network that's uh, supposed to go faster, well, it's going to slow it down a little bit because it's it's not going full speed and all this other stuff. So the idea here behind answering uh, or addressing Brad and Ryan's queries is to talk about. Kind of take you the take a step back and and let's look at your your network. And I think I think you and I actually, John, have have two um, distri- We both have networks that are distributed, but we kind of do it in different ways. So I think it, it's kind of a, you know, our 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 own setups are good case studies for uh, for what's going on. What Brad was what Brad was talking about here was he's got a new house. He is curious whether he should how he should set up his his network in terms of wireless where he should put the different routers and how he should set them up in the chain and i think before we get into details i want to talk about a general approach here john um mm-hmm. and i have one too go ahead yeah go yeah go ahead why, well, why don't you share your general approach go ahead well initially here's here's what i want to do because, as as Dave, you pointed out, you have different bases with different capabilities. You have G, you have N, you have B, right. you have legacy devices. Not everybody's running at the same speed. I mean, even in my house, like I have the same as you. I have a TiVo that's a G. I have computers that are N. I have uh, right. maybe an older computer that may be, uh, may be B, I think. No, I think I've, I've ditched all of those. So, you know, get a blueprint, get a map of the house, get a chart, start recording, because this can get complicated. And if you do not have an authoritative reference of what's on what, um, you're going to get in trouble. If you do do a chart saying, okay, I got one iPhone, I got an Xbox, I got this, I got that, this is N, this is G, this is this speed, that speed, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. Um, so, you know, just start to take an inventory. Make sure you understand what you need because you it may make sense in some cases to isolate the different networks. You may want to have um, an N network. And then maybe another G network and maybe even a B network. Or do you want to put something in dual mode depending on the, uh, the, the layout? And there's, there's no 
Well, there could be a right answer, but you may never <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great way to start um, no, to understand what you need. You may not need B at all. Probably a lot of people don't. So shut that down. Right. Uh, unless you got people coming over that still have, you know, relics that are running 802.b. Otherwise, you know, you could run in dual, you know, G and N or isolate one or the other, depending on, you know, how much space you have. And, uh, you know, this will help understand, you know, when you do relays and stuff like that, because those get, I don't really use those a heck of a lot. The WDS stuff. Yep. Um, all right. So there's just a general place to start. Yeah. I like, I like that. Get a chart. Create it. Yeah. Just, and even if you don't want to chart it out though, though drawing it physically will help when it comes to figuring out where to put wireless base stations and that sort of thing. But even just creating a list and even, and, and especially Mac addresses, because you're probably, although it is not the best security, I don't think it so. is a piece of security. I, well, I would record the Mac addresses for another reason is if you've got somebody playing games with you, maybe you can track down the rogue device if you know all the ones that are supposed to be on your network. I I, I, I think I, I will, I will air and I realize our, our entire discussion is about making it more complex, but in, in the keep, keep it simple, stupid realm. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think the first step is to write down the Mac addresses. I, I think you want to write down uh, later. Yeah. I think you want to look at what you have, and 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 what speed it runs and then prioritize them. Right. I mean, for me, my my house is a perfect example. I have uh, three computers in the house. One's a Windows machine. One's an iMac. And one is my wife's laptop. Then we have our two iPhones and we have our TiVo and our Wii. Now, the TiVo and I believe the Wii and the iPhones all connect the fastest speed that they will connect is G. 802.11G, 54 megabits at, at best. Lisa's MacBook Pro is one of the first gen MacBook Pros. It's my old one. And what that means is it will support wireless B, wireless G, and wireless A on the 5 gigahertz channel. Uh, so... And 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 having a five gigahertz channel over there is good if I ever bring my MacBook Pro over, which is one of the newer ones that'll support N on the uh, five gigahertz or two point four gigahertz channels. But like B versus G, if you're running N on a two point four gigahertz channel and you have G devices or B devices connected, it is going to degrade performance. So. I uh, so I have two base stations over there. I have an airport extreme, an old airport extreme that runs. I have it in B and G mode. I leave B open. I don't have any B devices, but this way, if I ever have a guest at the house that needs to run B for whatever reason, they can jump on and it's fine. Our iPhones connect to that. Our TiVo connects to that. And our Wii connects to that. These are what I consider non-critical devices. They're not transferring Huge amounts of data other than the TiVo nowadays, but it is what it is. Uh, With the streaming and all that. Yeah. So you make a good suggestion is to kind of partition things if you can mm-hmm. based on, yeah, uh, sporadic use. Right. Like an iPhone or an iPod Touch is not going to be sucking a lot of bandwidth. I really no, doubt. No. But, but you know, like Whereas Lisa's a computer, machine. Of course. Like, yeah, we're streaming. Like you, you and I can both stream HD, so I'm sure that pegs the, the G connection. So don't have multiple streaming devices hanging off of one base. Well, you could, but you know, it starts, it's going to slow you down. And yeah, if you have two TiVos, you're going to get probably less than half the performance on each one of them because they're fighting with each other then. Yep. And, and Lisa's computer, it's important for me to have a high quality stream there because she's using time machine. So uh, what I have is I have the, the airport extreme base station running in 2.4 gigahertz mode and that's running B and G. Uh, but really, it's only in G mode unless there's a B client that tries to attach. Then I have my time capsule running in five gigahertz mode and I have it in N and A mode. Now, most of the time, Lisa's just connecting to it is A. Now, A is only 54 megabits. It doesn't go faster than that, but it is a dedicated stream. It It's it's uh, A is is faster than G at closer proximity i think is is what it's worked out to be it's i I don't know exactly the details but it's running Uh, five gigahertz it's not being interfered with by the 2.4 gigahertz channels 
and it she gets a solid 26 megabits uh, per second out of it. So, the, you know, she she's getting full throughput yeah. of, of this because G is fi- or A is 54, but it doesn't really go 54. A, it half that. Yeah, A never really took off. And no. I still remember you and I were, at, I think, one of the Macworlds where the, mm-hmm. the buzz in the audience was, OK, they're going to announce a pro- new protocol. Is it going to be G or A? Right. And a kind of the only downside with A is because in general it's a higher frequency. Higher frequencies don't go as far with the same amount of power. Right, and and so, and sort of breaks that limit because it's it's got because it goes so much faster. Um, at two four, yeah, it's probably at, the at five. State, oh, I'm sorry, huh? At, and well, N eight hundred two dot eleven N is an interesting protocol. It will either sorry, A and G. I, I see A and G is somewhat equivalent, except for the frequency. And then you're saying N is beyond that. N N goes way faster. N N will go yeah. up Was to two two thirty two oh two thirty megabits. N will go two thirty. Okay. Uh, it it in perfect situation. Um, so usually less than that. Uh, I've seen I've gotten throughput of about a hundred and fifty out of it. I think. Uh, but N will run either on 2.4 or on 5 gigahertz. So I recommend running it on 5. But if you only have one base station and you need to run your B, G, and N devices from it, then you run N on 2.4 and you just live with the, uh, you know, with, with it being in the lower range. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess the, the takeaway here from this first part is, Look at what devices you have and be realistic about it. And, you know, wireless base stations are pretty cheap these days. You can I just bought a, you know, that that Linksys WRT 150N, uh, which is a 2.4 gigahertz N capable base station. So it does BG and N. Uh, I bought that for it was 50 bucks shipped. I think it was thirty nine dollars on Amazon refurb and uh, and. You know, it was it was less than 50 bucks shipped to my door. Hmm. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So you can get these things. Now, the the next part of this conversation is talking about where to put these things. And then we're going to talk about the how to set them up. Right. Mm. Because you don't necessarily want to stack all of these wireless base stations on top of each other. Right. Uh, it may be that all your devices are let's say all your devices are G devices. But you need to get a signal in one corner of the house and also in another corner. And you can't put a base station in the middle. Or even if you did, you're not going to get good throughput on both sides. I I think before that, though, before we get to the where, I would propose, let me know if you were going to get to this or not. But um, I would propose understanding your uh, what surrounds you first. You see where I'm going with this? No. Where are you going with it? Where am I going with this? I would, if I'm going to be thinking, uh, so first, the, you know, we talked about a map or a chart or something like that, you know, schematics for your house. Yep. Um, I would do a site survey. What's a site survey, you asked, John? What's a site survey, I asked, John? <laughs> uh, and, and I've seen some of our IT guys do this, is get some sort of Wi-Fi monitor. Now, I've seen handheld ones that run on little CE devices or Palms, or they probably got them on Blackberries. But uh, iStumbler on the Mac is a fine one. What you want to do is you want to walk around your your premises. Now, in my case, I have a you know fairly small place, so it's not a big deal. But if you're talking, you know, a sizable place, or you know, like you know, Dave out, you know, with his biggest state there, you know, New Hampshire, um, you may have, and and obviously you can't see RF, but if you get a stumbler and you just walk around, you know, where you think you're going to need a wireless signal, look at what the stumbler reports in terms of other bases it sees what channels they're on, and the signal and the noise ratio. So you may have, and I think you pointed this out, Dave, you, you figure this out eventually, due, probably due to something going wonky and then running a stumbler, that you may be, on one side of your property, you may have something blasting you with, uh, you know, from multiple sides with, uh, you know, stuff on, on channels that you'd like to use. Um, so do a site survey. I, I don't know of a tool off the top of my head that can make this really nice. I mean, I stumble, I guess, is as good as anything. Is that, you know, you just got to chug around, you know, make notes as you're going along. Um, or does it, you know, there's one on Windows that ties into a GPS. I don't know if iStumbler ties into a GPS either. I don't, I don't think that would be ideal. I don't think inside your house it much matters if you're 
10 feet one way or 10 yeah, feet another probably not. way. So just, you know, take, take careful notes. If you keep seeing the same base all over the place, or if in a certain location you see it, you know, note its channel, note the signal strength, um, because you're going to want to pick pretty much what other people are not using. Yeah, well, I would. Um, I, you were talking more location. Well, you were talking location, but I just wanted to add kind of an angle to that. Yep. That puts it in perspective of, you know, why would you put something somewhere? Uh, though, though I think you had a different angle as well as just general. So yeah, you pick it up. I, okay. I yeah. So that. no, I I would actually do that. But what I would add to that is, you know, you've got your cable modem coming into the house, and usually that location is fixed, though you might have some flexibility there. So you're going to put a base station where your cable modem is, and chances are it's going to be a wireless base station. So you might as well start there. So I would set that up and then do your site survey where you're walking around. Hopefully you have a laptop. You can run iStumbler. And as you get to all the places in the house where you're going to, where you know you're going to want wireless access, get there, let it sit for about 30 seconds just so everything settles in. And then see, and you're looking for two things. One is exactly what what you just said, John. What other networks am I seeing? But even more importantly is Uh, what's the strength to my base station, right? So kill two birds with one stone with with your site survey. And we don't do that. Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, sure. We live in New Hampshire here. No, actually, we don't kill birds. No, (laughs) I I would have a a, a small caveat here. If you're going to find a location, like, for example, my every room in my house is wired with cable. Yep. Pick the location that is highest. And most central to where you want to be. Yep. But height is good. Yes. I, I can, can't stress that enough. Height is good. Uh, with a, a, You may not want to put it in the attic because sheets of metal near right. the thing are bad. But if you can put it up on a piece of furniture or something and it doesn't bother you, get it up as high as possible because that's going to give you in general, the best coverage. I, I, I would actually counter that. If you have a, if you have a two story mm. house, I'd put it on the second floor. If you have a okay. three-story house, I would also put it on the second floor because you want the si- the signal is going to go in a circle, right? In a sphere, right? Think think of it that way. It's not just going to fall down. Radio waves don't fall like that, right? They they will emanate from their source in uh, all else being equal. They will emanate from their source with equal power in all directions, eh, depending on the type of antenna you have. But if you have an omnidirectional antenna that's the that's basically what's going to happen so uh, and and this is this is advice from personal experience you you want to put it on the second floor of a three-story home and that way you get coverage on the first floor and on the third floor as well as the second floor and you want to put it as close to the middle of that floor as you can but as john said there are things that will interfere so you you again with your site survey you want to you want to kind of think about okay is there a refrigerator between the base station and where I want to be because if there is you can have massive signal degradation the other thing to look out for air conditioning ductwork that stuff is encased in it, it's wrapped in metal most of the time that's going to blow things up uh, and and bounce signals all over the place so you might not know where your ductwork is but during your site survey you're going to figure it out uh, because you're going to see you know if you move five feet in either direction and the signal like goes way up or way down. You've got something in between you and wherever that base station is. So going around and figuring this out and, and back to your point, John, as you're seeing other base stations appear, write down the channel number. iStumbler will report this for everything in the 2.4 gigahertz range. It'll report channels one through 11. Um, the other one, but it will not report channels in the five gigahertz range. It's, um, uh, I'm trying to think what's the other one. AP grapher is good for that. And we'll put a link to that. AP grapher will link, will, will report channels. At least I believe it will report channels in the, the N range, which can be helpful. Indeed. Yeah. We, 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 are we good on the, the site survey? I, I heard you moaning and groaning when I was talking about radios and, and the second floor. Are you, are you, are you, are we in agreement now? Yeah, I think I'm okay. It, yeah. All right. I think we're okay with that. I've just, yeah. So I haven't had a three star. I'm, I'm just trying to think depending on the type of antenna and the device, if it, it probably does go in a, in a sphere. It I does. Think about that. Yeah. I I I did a lot of wireless network setups back okay. in the you know late 90s when 
you were only going to get one base station doing WD doing repeaters, which we haven't talked yet about uh, was not really an option. And so it was find that central location in the middle of the house. That's not near the AC handler and go, you know, that, I was doing it in Texas. So everybody had central air and this was, you know, huge concern of staying, okay. stay away from the ductwork, but otherwise put it in the middle of the house. Yeah. Cause last time I set one up and, and I got additional height, I got better signal, but that probably was due to something else. Yeah. It wasn't happening. Could have been the surface I was putting it on. Yeah, right. Could have been it. Right. Okay. So anyways, okay. I'm, I'm not grumpy anymore. We can... Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but, but then once you figured out where everything's going to go or where your problem spots are and where you might need to, to enhance, you also want to, um, you know, as you're doing this, of course, figuring out, well, I'm going to have G device. I'm going to have my, you know, my gaming system, which is a G device p potentially here and a computer, which is an end device there. So you want to kind of test both sides of, uh, of this equation and make sure you've got everything together. Once you've got that, then you need to think about, okay, how am I going to get, if you decide that one wireless base station isn't enough in the it, one wireless base station of each type isn't enough. You may decide, and this is what I have in my house. Uh, I have the time capsule running in. I have the airport extreme base running B and G, as I said, they both sit right next to each other, and that has not posed a problem. Uh, they're running different frequency ranges. They might interfere with each other a little bit because it's just two radios next to each other, and that can happen. But in general, I haven't seen any problems with that. However, if you find that you need to extend either your N or your, your G signal further, uh, then it starts to get a little bit tricky. The, the, the best solution is if remember John and I were talking about ethernet cable. If you have an oh, ethernet yeah. cable running from one corner of your house, some, you know, to halfway in the middle or even better all the way to the other connecting the base stations via ethernet and is the best way to extend your network. And that's, that's the other part of what I have here. I've got uh, the cable modem actually is in my office here and I've got a router here in the office and it does wireless here in the office. And then I've got an Ethernet cable, as we've talked about, that fries things when the lightning's wrong. And yep, the, that's the, a, your little yeah. antenna there. Your exactly. Your little lightning rod. My little lightning. That's right. Uh, but then that runs Ethernet over to the house and feeds those two base stations. Uh, so there's no wireless extensions that have to happen or anything like that. It's all wired in, which is great. If that's possible, that's going to be your best bet. But if it's not... There is something called WDS, which is Wireless Distributed System, I think, John. A wireless Distribution System? Distribution but, uh, System. Yes, it's a standard for letting one base kind of look like another, I think. It, it, well, what yeah, it, it, what it does is the radio in one base station grabs the signal that it sees from another and then rebroadcasts that signal out. Uh, and and we're oversimplifying here, but but essentially think of it as a wireless repeater uh, or or a, a midstream wireless amplifier. So it's taking the signal that it gets and then broadcasting it further. Based on my experience with this, don't expect this to work magic. If you no. if you're I've had that too, you're not going to get full bore. No. All right, this device is 54 megabits. This is 54 megabits. Therefore, I expect my you know extended relayed or they have a couple of classes of wds right. i expect that connection to be 54 megabits per second well number one it'll never get to 54 but number two right. yes you will be disappointed like i tried to do air uh is it air tunes yep through an express and sometimes especially when it's an wds device yeah it gets a uh, mm. it, it can be yeah it, it can be intermittent but it's better than nothing and, it, and uh, I guess Pilot Pete says that he it can, uh, he, it he can does uh, hang on hang, it, it, it can Sorry. be better than nothing, but it can also be exactly the same as nothing. <laughs> I, no, I I found this. Well, I, it is it is uh, persnickety as far as setting it up. Sometimes yeah. is uh, with the Apple products, I'd say it's pretty straightforward because they're usually smart enough to detect one another and say, right. oh, I'll I'll grab the values on the on the Linksys, like especially with the third party firmware. 
you got to get every Mac address and every wireless interface exactly right. Yes. Or it just, it doesn't happen. And it gets very, very frustrating. That would be my one caution on WDS. If you're trying to mix flavors, which is what I did, I tried to do with Linksys and Apple equipment and it, it was, it was bad news. It was doable, but very technical and very detailed. And, and I, I was getting sick of it. What I found with it is about half the time, it doesn't seem to extend the range much, if at all. Um, and I don't know why this is. Maybe maybe my experience is tainted because I'm a buffoon and I don't know how to set this thing up. But no, no, but but it's kind of doing two jobs, right? I mean, it's it. wrapping with you and it's wrapping with the other base. So how can right. it? It can't. So it it has to be some sort of bottleneck. You can't magically get more bandwidth. Now there is a way to magically do it. And the the way to do it is with a base station that has two antennas. And the trick is if let's say you do five gigahertz from your main base station and then you grab that with the five gigahertz antenna on a remote base station and then send the signal out from the remote base station with the 2.4 gigahertz antenna. Now you're not using the same radio to receive and transmit you're using one radio to receive a signal, another to transmit, and that can work very well. Uh, it's a, it's obviously a little more complex to set up. I have not done this with the new Apple base stations, but I am led to believe that they do it. Uh, the, the the new Airport Extreme and the uh, the the new Time Capsule that have the two radios built in that can go at the same time. So so this is possible and much more reliable uh, than when when compared to doing it with just a single radio base. Uh, you could also get two base stations and link them together and make one the receiver and one the sender. Uh, and that that's certainly doable. This does get very complex. You're better off getting a base station that has the two radios built in and just letting the, the built-in software yeah. and the base station manage that process. So so that's it. Ethernet first. Second is a, a dual radio ba- base station. And then third is just the one base station that, that's repeating itself out pete though mentions a fourth option that i might insert between one and two and Uh that is the power line bridge we've talked about this on the show before what it is is you plug you buy two pieces they both plug into ac outlets in your home you plug an ethernet port into one on one end and an ethernet port or an ethernet cable into one on the other and it sends the Ethernet signal across the the wire. Now, it's better if you're on the same circuit, but I've been told that it might work if you're not. Uh, the uh, the the speeds of power line. Pete, do you have uh, do you have those those speeds there? I know that they've gotten much. It used to be about twelve megabits, and that was it. So we'll bring Pete in in his uh, noisy hotel room with his macbook pro mic <laughs> yeah no i i do have it um i it was a few months back i think it was uh maximum pc uh on the windows side uh rated them that they're they're streaming there's a d-link one now that streams uh high def video no problem okay so okay. i don't have the numbers in front of me i should have looked those up uh, but i wasn't thinking to do that while you were talking about it but i've been using one with my sling box for going on three years now and and it's been almost flawless okay all right so there you go so and 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 the other trick that i thanks pete the other the other trick that i i hear with these is you can only use one set of them on any uh related power circuit so you can't just expect to blast signal out to the 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 entire house and and that makes sense i mean it's it's you know so. Yeah, I tried to at one time at one point, and I essentially went right back to Best Buy and said, uh, here, I made a mistake <laughs> buying these. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, so, so that's it. So that, and, that's, go, go ahead, John. Well, you know, I'm going to wrap it up here. Mm. When you set well, We have part up, three of this discussion, too, so. Well, let me just ahead. say very quickly. When yeah. you set this stuff up, WPA2. Oh, yeah. Please. Um, I, I, I will. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna recommend the following things. And, okay. And this is what I do. Depending on on whose network I'm setting up, you know, for the family or something like that, require a password. WPA2 MAC address filtering. Do not broadcast. Do not beacon. Yes, people will wag their finger at me saying, "Well, not beaconing and filtering by MAC address is not foolproof," but it keeps the wannabes out. And then definitely 
use uh, some sort of encryption. Wireless security is what you're talking about here. And wireless security in in the sense of, you know, do not use WEP or or we're going to come over there and, you know, (laughs) harass you or taunt you a second time. Uh, do not use web use a WPA two personal is pretty much. Yep. I would say good enough right now. Yep. It'll keep people out. Don't use a stupid password, please. You know, use a password, right? <laughs> it's what it's there for. I, I, so, you know, I will throw in if you're having problems getting a device connected to your network, the first yes. thing to try is turn off security temporarily and see if that device works without it, because there there are especially some, you know, non-computer devices like like gaming systems and, and DVRs and, the, the, you know, refrigerators and all those other things now that have Wi-Fi built into them. Really? Refrigerators? Oh, yeah. Have Wi-Fi? Yeah, man. Sure. Shut up. Um, oh. uh, yeah, I think uh, LG has one. But uh, but but turn the security off and try it. Oftentimes. There is minor incompatibilities in the type of security. Like if if you've got a, a device and it says it supports WPA2 personal, but it might not work with the TK, TKIP uh, authentication method. It might require AES or something. You know, there's there's all these minor oh, sure. little settings. So turn it off. See if it works. And then at least, you know, where to troubleshoot. And OK, well, maybe I've got to tweak this and, you know, start changing things around. So, OK, so we've got. The uh, what you're using, right? We've got the where ironed out. Now, let's briefly. Why? Talk about how. Well, we, I think I think the why is because, you know, we're <laughs> geeks. I don't think that's I don't think that that's irrelevant. The question is moot. Uh, but but the how is important. And in general, what you want to do now, you're going to have, you know, we're talking about assuming that you're using multiple wireless base stations here they all could manage a network entirely on their own but you don't want them managing if you've got three of these things like i do right i've got three now, now base what, stations what, what exactly dave do you mean by manage you- I, and I, I will i'll get i, I want to kind of talk top level here so they could all manage a network on their own but you don't want three network managers running your house and 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 to answer your question john what i mean is when the signal comes in, when the cable modem delivers your bandwidth to you, you're getting typically at home, you're getting one IP address from the cable company, and that is assigned to your router. And all of the routers out of the box are built to do this. You plug it into your cable modem, it grabs the IP address from the cable company, and then magically through the, the use of some technologies called DHCP and NAT, distributes that one IP address and makes it work for everyone. And it does it by creating an internal network and handing out internal IP addresses and then uh, using an AT to magically watch the traffic and make sure everybody gets the packets that they're supposed to get. It, it's completely seamless. Most of our listeners have probably seen this work and haven't even thought about it. You just get the router, you plug it in, you connect all your computers up, bam, you're on the internet. Woo. You know, uh, right. everything if you works see an great. IP, if you see an IP address with a 10 or a 192 or a 176, is it? I think it's 172. Or 172. Yeah. I'm sorry. If you see that, you're good. If you see a 169, yeah. something's wrong. Right. Because that means DHCP failed for whatever reason if you have an IP address. Uh, I think, well, no. 169s mean fail. You, 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 yes. you, you probably will get nothing. Yeah. So, but you only, here's the thing. And that works great. But what you don't want to do is take another router that's set up to do the same thing and connect it to the first, because then it's going to grab one address from the first router and create its own network. <laughs> and now computers on one won't necessarily they'll, they'll all be able to get on the Internet. But, you know, computers won't see each other. And you, you might have some weird Internet problems because now you're effectively behind Two levels of routers, and one doesn't realize it's behind you know, the other. Dave, you know. I have a, a way to crystallize this. This Go. is just like Dilbert. Yes. If you have a project and you have too many managers, yes. You, you see where I'm going here? You want the flat management system. You need a right. CEO and minions. That's it. You do not want multiple managers 
each unaware of what the other is doing, which is basically the situation yeah. you described. That's right. Everybody's like, well, I'm going to do this and this. Well, I'm going to do this and this. The problem is they don't know about each other. So That's they're right. probably going to screw everything up. Not to say that projects with too many managers will screw things up, but it, usually true. Yeah. <laughs> too many cooks in the kitchen. So we want, and the, and the book, well, the book you want to read, I'm sorry. I just have to make a little tangent. Have you heard of this? The mythical man month. I, I have heard of the book. Yes. Okay. And it's a book about software engineering and it, and it talks about how uh, not necessarily managers. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pick on managers, but adding more people to something doesn't necessarily make it go quicker. <laughs> As a matter of fact, especially developing software or any complex task, it may make it go slower. Right. So what do you do if things go slower? Well, you add more. That's right. And it goes even slower. And you, you think somebody would figure it out at some point. And sometimes they do. Anyways, move on. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah. So what you want to do, and you've heard us talk about this before, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, is you want the first router to be in its manager mode, which is the the default sharing an IP address mode. That's what it's called in Apple's routers. Okay. First uh, being the one that's plugged right into the, 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 the cable modem. The one that's plugged into the cable modem. All it's other all other wireless base stations need to be set in what we call bridge mode or dummy mode. And what that means is it means it's not going to do anything intelligent. It's not going to try and figure out uh, how to share the IP address that it gets. All it's going to do is pass data through back and forth. It's not going to hand out addresses. It's not going to do any translation. All it's going to do is pass data back and forth. It's a virtual wire. It, you got it. If you will. Yep. You you are dumbing this router down. And, and and you're actually, yeah, at the very lowest levels. Yeah, because all the other stuff that you're talking about, that's like high, uh, higher level things in the network stack, which, mm -hmm. no, just just pass the data, uh, pass it along. Nothing to see here. Nothing. That's right. And, and so what's going to happen is when you put a router in bridge mode, it's going to get an IP address for itself. It has to uh, in order to be configurable on the network. But. That's all it's going to do. It's it, And then the rest of the stuff is all going to be handled by that main router. So even if you're connected uh, to a remote base station for, with your wireless card and your, or, you know, your wireless MacBook Pro, or your iPhone or whatever it is, the thing that's going to hand it its IP address is that very first router connected to the cable modem. And that's how you want it, because that way you have one router to rule them all. Do we need to turn it here? One router to rule them all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Did you, uh, I'm going to guess you hit the echo button. I, I, I put a little, little extra Would reverb. You, I cannot it. hear. Yeah. No, you can't. No, I could, I could have done more, but you know, I, I had to do it very quickly. Here, no, that's, so. that's enough. Okay, good. Uh, and, and that's basically it. it we'll leave. It, Apple's routers make it very easy to, to do this. You go into the airport setup, you go. And the way I would do this is connect a machine wirelessly to this airport router uh, because that way that's the only guaranteed way that you're going to be able to manage this router um, connect a machine wirelessly to the airport router go into the airport admin utility go into the internet tab and for uh, connection sharing I think I think it's called connection sharing let me let me find the uh, the email that I had to uh, keep babbling yeah it's uh i think it's uh who is it? it's ryan uh, it's the email i sent to ryan did i not put it out here oh under sharing it's under it, it, is it sent, no, is it is it sharing is that what it's called no, no 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 it's not um i'll find it here hang on stand by folks uh i got nothing got nothing i got nothing just like the temptations ain't nothing without roughing. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's at the bottom of the Internet. You know what? I have airport utility on this computer, don't I? Now here we go. Inter internet sharing. It's called Internet sharing at the bottom of that. Uh, that well, little it isn't sharing. In sharing, there is a service Internet sharing. And then on the right, it shows the. Ports no, it's called it's available. called connection sharing. So it's in in your base station. Go to the Internet tab at the bottom oh, of that sorry, screen. Base station. Yep. On the base station, it says connection sharing. This is in the airport utility, internet tab, bottom of the screen, connection sharing. You turn it off into bridge mode. That 
and then and then hit update. It will restart the router, and the next thing you get via that router will be an IP address from the main one. So that that's the way to do it, and you do that with all of your remote routers, uh, and then that way you, you you essentially made them not routers anymore. They're just passing data along, like John said, and everything's good. Life is uh, life is grand. Yeah, I like some of the other things they have here. Some of the WAN port settings, which, uh, yeah, we'll go into detail on that. All right. Later. I think we're going to have to skip cool stuff found this week, John. Do we, do we have anything else to, uh, to add to our, our network design discussion here? Because we're, we're, we're pushing the, uh, the time envelope. I think that about, that about covers it. I, I think it I does. I think we, we kind of, we just did a brain dump on yeah. everything we, we think we know. Ask your questions if you have anything to share uh, or, or ask or anything, really. Go ahead and uh, give, you can give us a call. 206-666-GEEK, which John is 4335. Or you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. That's correct. Feedback wow. at macgeekgab.com. You can Skype us to macgeekgab. You can Twitter us at macgeekgab, at Dave Hamilton, at John F. Braun. At Pilot Pete, I gotta. It's cool, man. Find my agenda here. Yeah. iPhoneAlley.com is Michael Johnston's home. He's the one that converts his podcast into AAC enhanced format for all of you out there. Cashfly provides the bandwidth for getting the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software. Text Expander from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and one free book from audiblepodcast.com slash macgeekgab, as well as a two-week free trial of Audible Listenable Gold. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. I think we're good, John. I'm getting us out of here. Got anything else to say? <clears throat> I got nothing. Don't make me talk about the temptations again. You can talk about them. I dig them. Oh, yeah. They weren't nothing without roughing them. Just remember, when you're setting up that wireless network, John. Don't get caught. Made up.